0: Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys today. I hope you enjoyed either an extra hour of sleep or an extra hour of uh, trick or treating or whatever it was that you happen to do with uh, turning the clocks back. Um, If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are headed today. As we continue through the book of Ephesians together, we're going to be doing the second half. Of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Uh, Before we read that together, there there are many different ways to trace the timeline of a person's life. There are a lot of different ways to tell your story. Maybe one of them is to consider the places uh, that you've lived. You know, you could think about different cities, different states, uh, different houses or apartments. Uh, and, and kind of trace the timeline of your life through location. Or, or another way that you might do that is, is to trace your life through the people you've been with uh you know when you were young maybe primarily relating to parents in some way uh, as you grew older relating to friends uh and then maybe uh in in recent life a significant other or other close friends that that you've joined with or or family members right tracing your life through the the story of relationships that you've had uh, or another way could be to think about the different schools that that you attended. You know, many of us kind of bracket off our life through, well, you know, there was the elementary school, the middle school, the high school, went to college here, maybe graduate school or something like that, or jobs, right? That's another way to trace the timeline of your life, the different jobs that you've had, the different uh, things that you've done, companies you've worked for or with. Uh, These are all different ways of, of telling the story of our lives, but I think another, and perhaps far more amusing way, would be to consider the evolution of your wardrobe. Just for a moment, right, think across the decades and different stages of your life. Has your fashion changed at all along the way? Yeah? Well, what are some of the craziest styles that you used to wear? I love it. shout it out from, from your seat, or if you're watching online, leave a Facebook comment or send me a text or something. What, what's the craziest fashion that that is in your past? Anybody? Leisure suits. Leisure suits. All right. Bell bottoms. I was thinking. I was hoping someone would say that. <laughs> Perms. Yeah, the hairstyles. Things like that. What's that? Double knit. Double knit. Awesome. Flannels. Flannels? Yeah. All, all kinds of different stories and, and, and fashions and this, this great history of things. I mean, this is a, a great and amusing way to, to walk through the timeline of our life. We could easily uh, just walk through our closets and see all the places we've been, all the people we've been, right? Uh, You know, I have never been much of a fashion statement, but I will say when I was in elementary school, I wore almost every day a polo shirt and slacks. I have no idea why. I was just a little kid who was wearing a polo shirt and slacks every single day, and that's just what I did. I guess it felt safe or, or, or good. And, and then, but in my teenage years, things started to change. And, and I was, was most often seen in just a t-shirt and jeans. And I had Converse All-Stars that I wore for, for my shoes. And that was every day of high school. That's what you would see me in. Uh, and that, That's quite a transition, right? From, from polo and slacks to jeans and a t-shirt and, and Converse. There's another uh, fairly significant transformation that's happened in my wardrobe. Uh, If you had met me several years ago, you would have been very likely to see me wearing a gray hoodie, probably a gray shirt, some kind of gray pants, and black sneakers. I was just this monochrome rain cloud walking around, just this all, all different uh, shades of gray and black, just wandering around. That, that was me. Uh, fast forward a few years, and you might see something like a, a bright blue plaid shirt or a, a maroon jacket, right? Th- things have changed a little bit. And, and really, one thing happened to me between those years ago and now. Uh, her name is Caitlin, Right? Uh, She has greatly affected uh, the way that I dress, my wardrobe, and and sure, you know, it changed not only because I wanted to impress her, although I did, and not only because her fashion advice is superb, although it is, um, but it changed, it it runs much deeper than that, because I think the, the external change of a wardrobe really reflected some internal changes that I experienced. Because before, I think, there was kind of this insecure, shy, kind of depressed sense that I carried about me, and that reflected in all the different gray that that I wore. But through our relationship, I've grown, and and now it's not just clothing that's more colorful. Life is so much more colorful. You see, internal transformation has external effects. Internal transformation has external effects. And in our passage today, Paul uses the image of a wardrobe changing to describe our life in Christ. There are old clothes that that we can throw out, that we can get rid of. And there are new clothes that we can put on, that we can wear and live in. And these new clothes that we're given in Christ are not just like last night's Halloween costumes that you put on for a while, you wander around in the hope of getting some treats. These new clothes are the fruit of a deep and a profound transformation of the mind and of the heart. And so let's read our passage today uh, and, and see what Paul has to say about new clothes. We'll read in chapter 4, beginning in verse 17 to the end of the chapter. Paul writes, Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They've lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you've heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk Come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have given us new clothes to wear that we can put off our old ones. Lord, I pray that As we reflect on the words of your scripture today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we continue through the second half of Ephesians, we can see very clearly that Paul is getting super practical at this point. Right there, there is no more lofty, abstract language of lavish grace and heavenly places or principalities and powers. Now he's talking nuts and bolts. He's talking about falsehood and truth. He's talking about stealing and sharing. He's talking about anger and speech. However, I think that it's important for us to pause before we continue and remember that these are parts of the same letter. This is all the same letter. You know, some folks probably love theology, and so you you kind of get through those first few chapters and you light up uh, at all of the the wonders that Paul is talking about, and then we get to the second half, and you're kind of bored. You know, he's just sort of saying stuff to do. Why? I'm not as interested in that, right? Or others might be just the opposite. You know, that first half, you're just kind of glazed over with all of this big theological language, but then you get to the second half, and hey, it's practical. There's stuff for me to do, and you're getting pumped up. But both of these need one another. Both of these need each other. The two parts of the letter are not two different things. Here's what you believe, and here's what you do. They're not two different things. Rather, they are two different ways of looking at the same thing. Theology and practice relate to one another the way that water, yeast, and flour relate to bread. Theology and practice relate to one another the way that threads and hymns relate to clothing. Theology without practice is like trying to eat bread without any of the ingredients. Or to say it the other way, uh, practice without theology is like trying to clothe yourself with a ball of yarn. It's not going to work. These two things need each other. They need each other. So, so that stuff about Jews and Gentiles being made into one body, right? that actually looks like something. Or all that stuff that Paul said about being seated with Christ over the powers and the principalities, that actually looks like something. Or all that stuff that that Paul wrote about building one another up in love, that actually looks like something. These are not just ideas. They are practices. And, And they're not just rules. They're realities, realities that we live into. All of this goes hand in hand. In fact, the passage that we're looking at today follows a very similar pattern that we saw at the beginning of chapter 2. Do you remember that was a little over a month ago that we were at the beginning of chapter 2? But chapter 2 goes on about how you were dead, but God has made you alive together with Christ. You've been saved by grace through faith, not a result of works, but for good works, which God prepared to be our way of life. Right? This is what he wrote in chapter 2. And so the pattern that we talked about a little over a month ago is that God brings us from death to life to living. From death to life to living, so, so this idea is that we were in death, and God has brought us to life, but it doesn't end there, because now that we're alive, there's actually life to live. There's actually a way that, that this looks, from death to life to living, and we see that very same pattern in this passage, particularly in verses 22 through 24. He says, you were taught to put away your former life, your old self, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self. So there's the putting away of the old self, there is being renewed, and then there's actually putting on the new self. This is what grace looks like when it's put into action. And so I I want to consider each of these, the putting away of the old, the the renewal that occurs, but then also the putting on of the new. And so first there's the old self that must be taken off and, and put away. Paul begins describing this in verse 17 when he writes, you must no longer live as the Gentiles live. And now, I think it's helpful to know the literal word here is walk. No longer walk as the Gentiles walked or have have walked. The translation, live, is right. Paul loves using this word, walk, as a metaphor for living. But I think it's helpful to have that image of walking in our minds as we think about this, because walking involves movement. Right, It is a journey toward some destination. This is what Paul is describing, and he uses this image over and over again, especially during this section of Ephesians. At the very beginning of the chapter, we saw last week that he begins by telling them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called, 4 verse 1. And then in, in 5 verse 2, he says to walk in love. As Christ loved. In five verse eight he writes, walk as children of light. And then in five fifteen he says, Be careful then how you walk. And, and then here we see it again in four seventeen. Be careful not to walk as the Gentiles walked, no longer do that. Paul sees life as a journey, and he cares deeply about the way that we walk. And this image is particularly helpful as we keep reading because he goes on to say not to walk in the futility of mind. And the word futility here is sort of abstract. I mean, I, I don't know that I've used that word in common day speech this past week. Uh, so what, what does he mean by this? Well, another way of translating this word futility is Aimless. It's something that is aimless. So the idea here is that the Gentile way of life that Paul is saying to renounce is one of aimless walking, just wandering around aimlessly. There's no particular goal, no particular destination. It is just aimless walking after whatever happens to catch your attention in the most recent moment. You know, you see something shiny, you go running after it. That's what Paul's describing here, aimless walking. And so naturally, it's a life that is marked by lust and greed because there's no ultimate goal. So all you can do is to pursue what you have now or what you might be able to get now. It's a life of aimless walking. And Paul after describing this, goes on to say, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. That's not the way that you learned Christ. And I love the language that he uses. He goes on, for surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. This is the way that Paul begins to describe renewal the renewal of the spirit of your minds. And he uses the language of learning. He uses the language of of education. And I love that because it's this process. He says, this is not the way that you learned Christ, which means that we can learn Christ. He, He goes on to say, surely you've heard about him. And so we, we hear, we listen. But also, and you were taught in him. And this word taught is not just a matter of, of you know, note-taking and, and learning facts and details. It, it is hands-on learning. It, it's not the kind of learning that you do uh, in a class. It's the kind of learning that you do in, in a lab where you're actually putting things into practice. You're trying them out. Right? This is how we learn Christ, by walking. We learn by walking. This is how he describes it. And so it's something that we're a part of, we participate in, but it's also something that we receive from the Spirit as the Spirit renews our minds and teaches us how to walk. This is a, something that we learn, but, but also we practice. There's a great uh, theologian who named Thomas Akempis, and he has this really powerful quote. Uh, I've, I keep mentioning this history book we've been reading in men's group because it's full of such good, juicy history. But this is a quote from Thomas Akempis, who we read about a couple of weeks in that group. He wrote, Indeed, it is not learning— alone, that makes a man holy and just. But a virtuous life is what makes him pleasing to God. And then he says, I would rather feel contrition than know how to define it. I would rather feel contrition than know how to define it. For what would it profit us to know the whole Bible by heart and the principles of all the philosophers if we live without grace, and the love of God. Vanity of vanities, and all is vanity, except to love God and serve him alone. This is the kind of learning that Paul is talking about here. It's not just knowing how to define contrition, but having hearts that feel it. We learn Christ We hear of him, and we are taught in him as we walk with him. This is the renewal that the Spirit works in our lives. And so what does that actually look like? Well, he goes on to say this is that key verse that we just read, right? You were taught to put away your former life, that aimless walking, right? That is corrupted and deluded by lusts and be renewed by the Spirit in your minds. This is the learning that that we do in Christ. But ultimately, it moves toward and to clothe yourselves with the new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then for the rest of the chapter, he just breaks down really practically some ways that this looks. And every time he does this, it's completely the opposite of the aimless wondering of the Gentiles. Because the things that Paul describes here are things, is what it looks like to live life with a goal. Live life intentionally toward a particular destination. This is what it means to walk in Christ. And so we see this pattern as he describes several things. You know, we, we often, when we're told to do things, we respond and say, Well, why? And, you know, if you're growing up, you might have heard the line back, because I told you so. And that, and that line might be enough. But you know what? Paul actually does answer the question Why? Every time that he gives a command, There are three parts to it. He says, no, don't do this. Instead, do this. Because this. He says, no, but because. This is the way that he describes it. So the very first one, verse 25, he says, so then putting away falsehood, let us all speak truth to our neighbor for we are members of one another. No lies, Instead, truth. Why? Because we are one. Because we are one. You see, we don't just uh, stop, try to stop lying. That's not the goal of the Christian life, just to stop sinning. Neither do we just try to do good deeds, right? We don't just try to go telling the truth. The goal is to live as members of one another. And if we really grasp that, then we're, we're going to tell the truth. And we're not going to lie to one another. Because we're seeking unity, we're seeking wholeness, because we are members of one another. This is what it looks like to live out that picture that, that Paul has been painting of no longer Jew and Gentile, No more falsehoods, no more lies. Instead, speak the truth to one another because you are members of one another. You honor one another with the truth. He goes on, the the next one that he says, verse 26, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. And so again, we see no but because no sinful anger, but instead reconciliation. Seek reconciliation. Why? Well, because the enemy is going to get involved. Because if you don't, there's going to be room for, for the devil to get in there. And so this idea is yeah, we can get angry. Righteous anger is actually good, but don't sin in your anger. And when you become angry, make sure that you reconcile quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because then it very quickly turns into all kinds of festering bitterness, rage. It just builds up and tears you apart because the the devil, the enemy, will invade and and corrupt your heart. No, no. Sinful anger, but reconciliation. Why? Because of the devil. It leaves him a window to get in. The the next one. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Once more, this very same pattern, no stealing. Instead, work. Why? So you're able to share. Right? It's not just a matter of not being thieves. And it's not just a matter of having a good work ethic. It's a matter of being able to live generously. And so, because of that goal of living generously, being able to share with one another, well, we're going to work hard. We're not going to steal. The same thing continues. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, because only what is but only what is useful. For building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Right? No evil talk. Instead, build one another up. Why? Well, because we want to give grace to all who hear. Right? The goal is not just to not say bad things. The goal isn't even just to say good things. The goal is grace. For all who hear. So that will lead us to not speak with evil talk, but rather to build one another up as there is need. And then finally, in verse 31 Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. No bitterness and wrath. Instead, kindness and forgiveness. Why? Because of Christ. So again, the goal is not just to not be bitter and angry. Neither is the goal just to be nice to people. The goal is to be like Christ. Over and over again, Paul shows us that to walk in Christ is to have an aim. We don't walk aimlessly. We don't walk without purpose. We walk towards Christ. And none of these are just rules to check off. At the very center of the passage, verse 30, he writes, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. You see, all of these things are deeply relational. We don't just sin because we're trying to be good people. We seek to honor the Lord. We seek to honor the Spirit. And when we sin, the Spirit is grieved. There is a breach in that relationship. All of these are embedded in deep relationship with one another and with God. These are not just rules to to follow. Every one of these is a relationship to live out. We don't lie because we are one with one another. We don't steal because we want to be able to share with one another. We don't have evil talk coming out of our mouths because we want to build one another up with grace. We don't store up bitterness and wrath because we want to grow closer to Christ who has been kind and forgiven all of us. We don't do these things because we want to grow in the Spirit rather than grieving the Spirit. This is what it is to live with a goal. Not aimlessly, but with purpose. To walk in Christ. And so here is is my challenge to you. Is to begin to put these into practice. To begin walking these out. These are all so practical. And my guess is that we will have all the more opportunity to put these into practice this week in particular. Because it's no secret, I heard something about an election. And my guess is there's all kinds of reasons for people to be lying, to, to sort of shaping the truth to be whatever they want it to be. There are all kinds of reasons this week for people to be angry and sin against one another. There are all kinds of reasons this week for evil talk to come out of people's mouths toward one another. There are all kinds of reasons this week for people to feel bitter and angry. And all of those are living aimlessly. But we are not a people without aim. Our future is not shaped by the result of this week. Our future is set in stone already. And so I I want you to hear this. This came up in one of our conversations in uh, the Wednesday night group a few weeks ago. No matter who wins this week, they're already a lame duck because Christ is the one who will rule all principalities, all powers are ultimately waiting the day when Christ will come and rule. And so we can be a people who speak truth because we know that the goal is Christ, we are one together. We can be a people who do not uh, sin in our anger, but instead seek reconciliation, not leaving any room for the devil. We can be a people who don't let any evil talk come out of our mouths, but instead speak only what is good for building up one another. So whatever we say will be grace to those who hear. We're a people marked by kindness and forgiveness. This week, more than, more than any other in our common life, in our nation, we have a chance to put these things into practice. And so I challenge you be marked by each of these. Walk with Christ in kindness and forgiveness, and let us not grieve the Spirit, but rather put on the new self.